Keep your finger on the pulse of the financial industry with Finteract, an online community of forward-thinking financial advice professionals. Finteract is your digital hub to stay on top of trends, start conversations, connect with fresh perspectives, and gain valuable insights from peers. No sales pitches, just a collaborative, members-only community to help you maintain a growth mindset, inspire others, and learn new ways to propel your business forward. Apply to join at Finteract.net. Welcome to an industry in transition, the must-listen-to podcast for financial advisors and industry leaders from Tony Sirianni, the CEO and publisher of Advisor Hub, where we explore the week's news and events and put our ever-changing business into perspective. Tony is joined each week by industry leaders, mavericks, and disruptors who give their take on our industry and their thoughts on where we are headed. If you want to remain relevant, you can't miss it. Now, here's your host, Tony Sirianni. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Tony Sirianni Podcast. I am thrilled to have uh, my friend Alex Shahidi, who is the co-CIO and managing partner of the Vogue Advisors. You may recognize him from this. So we're glad to have you on the cover. And this was this is a great achievement because it was, um, you know, for you being one of the top RIAs in the United States. So congratulations on that. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Oh, glad to have you here. So I know it's it's morning out there. So uh, we'll, we'll we'll get you going because he's call he's in California. Uh, look, I think um, a lot of advisors would love to hear you know, sort of uh, your story. You know, you started at a wirehouse. So tell us a little bit about that. And, and what, what how many years ago did you make this decision to to move to RIA? And, and what was that like? Um, yeah, uh, I'd love to love to share that. I think I, I traveled a slightly different path from most people. Uh, so it might be something they haven't heard before. So when I came in, I came right out of school. I came out of law school, came to Merrill Lynch in the late 90s during the internet boom yep. and came in as a financial advisor. And I was excited. I'm going to come in. I'm going to give people financial advice. And what I learned very quickly is it's more of a sales industry than it is an in investment advisory industry. Um, so at first I was a little disappointed, but then I realized you have a lot of flexibility at big firms like that, just like you do in an RA to, to do what you think is best for your clients. So uh, rather than, and I'm not a salesperson at all. So that's why I was disappointed. I'm, I'm an investment person. I'm an analyst. I need to figure out how to do things. And I tell people about that. Um, so I started reading and I started studying because I needed to become an expert in this industry. So I went and got the CFA, the CFP, the SEMA, all the designations. I just taken the bar exam. So those exams weren't that challenging compared to the, you know, 18. Know. You're, you're in the mode of testing. When that's you're right. Doing the bar exam. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I went yeah, to I, law school too. I don't. I, I'm not proud of it. I don't tell a lot of people, but I did. Yeah, I never practiced, and I and I never regretted it. But but I feel like you're either in study mode or in your work mode. Yeah. And and I knew while I was in study mode, I should just keep studying. Um. So so I did all that, and uh, I never really marketed because that's just not who I am. And I just just got in front of people, and when I explained things, they said, you know, that makes more sense than what I've heard elsewhere. And so my close rate was higher, and and I kind of moved up the ranks with that approach rather than trying to sell. Um, and, and what I found is because most people are salespeople, um, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That's just the, how they're built. Um, and it's understandable because if you can't sell, you can't really survive in this industry. Yeah. Right? You got to get clients. You could be the best investor, but if you have no clients, you have no business. Um, so I found that I've navigated towards people who are more like me who are more investment yeah. focused. Always, always the case. If you find an advisor who's a jerk, 
his clients are jerks. If you find a really nice guy advisor, his clients are all nice people because you're you you end up you know dealing with people that that you could spend the afternoon talking about you know stocks and bonds. So I think there's something really to that. So that you're you're the non-salesperson sales guy who 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 brought in billions of dollars, and probably because uh, other people a lot of money you know they don't want to be sold. They they want they want somebody to explain to them what's going on. Right. Yeah. And, and so I just started working with more people that I thought were more like me, both clients and partners. And um, so I was at Merrill Lynch for 15 years, uh, was managing over $10 billion while I was there. And in 2014, it was time for me to leave and start my own firm. Um, so so I left. Um, and that, just, that's moving a big, that's a big business to move. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, that's it, a lot. That's a lot going on. A lot of moving parts there. And I'm assuming you have a team, right? So over time, you must have built up a team or did you, are you the well, it was me and one other guy that I brought it's $10 with billion. Dollars? That's a, that's yeah. A yeah, but it's not that many clients. All right. So I think it was. Oh, I get it. So I assume it's clients. not many clients. Yeah, it's not many clients. And number two is, uh, uh, you know, different kind of service model. It's you're, you're talking really investments with people, you know, all the that's time. right. Just worried about sending birthday cards. Right. That's right. Yeah. The other thing that I did was unique is uh, I didn't custody most of my assets when I was at Merrill Lynch with the firm. They were custodied outside. And, and so when I left, the call was relatively easy. It's, you know, I left. Um, and if you want to work with me, you cancel your consulting contract there. You sign a new one here and, you know, basically we're done. Yeah. So, so it was the transition actually wasn't that difficult because it's just a unique way of setting it up. Um, so, so managed my own firm for six years and then merged it with my, my good friends uh, from Evoke. Uh, who I had known for 20 plus years. We were in the same office at Merrill Lynch. And uh, we've been talking about partnering for 13 years, uh, philosophically aligned. I feel like they're kind of like me in terms of being investments first right. uh, versus sales. And so we put our group together. So now we're about 23 billion, about 60 okay. employees. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, then, you know, you, you get some scale. I mean, even though you were doing yeah. this, you know, kind of a, as a one man band at Merrill, I'm assuming you see some of the benefits of scale today. For sure. Yeah. And, and one of the things that was challenging for me is whenever I ask people around me, you know, about an idea that I had and I wanted feedback, everybody says, oh, that's the best idea I've ever heard. That doesn't help me. You know, I want people who challenge me and say, you know, that's a stupid idea. And let me tell you why. Right. And, and what I found is when you find people uh, that are like that, it actually helps you grow. And, and so I constantly been seeking for seeking partners who are provide constructive feedback are smart in areas that I'm not smart or good in areas that I'm not good at. And I think that's how one plus one equals three when you form these partnerships. I find it so, I mean, you know, we're, and we're doing this, this event I told you about in September, but it's for, you know, billion dollar advisors with big teams because it's lonely. I mean, you're sitting there and and you want feedback, you know, even though you're not a sales guy, you're still a creature that wants to, you know, kind of mix it up with people and talk yeah. about the things you're passionate about, like investing, or this is how I want to do it. And I find a lot of big advisors end up isolated, you know, because it's it's a hierarchical structure, right? So they're yeah. they're it's it's top down, and they feel like they don't have anybody to bounce anything off of. That's right. Yeah, and and if I think about what our mission is as an advisor, it's to constantly improve the portfolios that we manage for our clients, and that's a lifelong process. You you never get, reach the finish line, but it's the journey of constantly improving. And to get there, you have to be an independent thinker. You have to have a different perspective. Um, 
you're not necessarily going to follow the herd, but in some cases, maybe it makes sense. In other cases, it doesn't. And so you need independent insight that will help you make those improvements. Um, so you got to find really smart people um, that are independent thinkers that are not just doing what everybody else does for good yeah. reason. You know, this is a, it's, it just strikes me as a, a journey of making a virtue out of necessity. I mean, you were not a sales guy, but you turned it into a virtue, right? You did eventually yeah. with a partnership. I mean, and that's the, by the way, that's how we built Advisor Hub. So it's the same, same thing. You got to do, you work with what you got. Yeah. 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 So I think that's, that's basically what I'm looking, I'm still on that journey. I'm looking for people who uh, are interested in a different perspective um, because they think it's, it's better. And, and, and to make improvements, you need to surround yourself with people who are willing to challenge what you're saying. Um, and it's just hard to find. Hard to find. And, and, and you know, and then scale presents itself in a different you know way today. I mean, obviously you were growing during the pandemic. We've had a technological revolution since you started in the, mm -hmm. in the 90s, right? We're do, doing things like this. You can do with clients now. And especially I'm imagining with uh, you know, the hundred million dollar nine figure clients, right? They, they they don't need you to come carry a bag to their office. Are you doing a lot of Zoom with these guys, right? They're on a boat or wherever they are. Yeah. And, and I think that's, it's really interesting because, you know, most of the people we deal with and ourselves included have our biggest constraint is time. Yeah. And, and so now you can have a meeting like this and it's maybe 80% as effective as an in-person but it's extremely more efficient. There's less travel time, you're sitting in traffic, et cetera, and you can do more of these. And, and so you're weighing the, you're balancing between the efficiency and the effectiveness. And so what ends up happening is the most important meetings you do in person and everything else you do virtually. And to me, that seems like a good balance. And so our clients are very comfortable with that. Yeah. And I think it's the folks that have embraced those things and uh, the, the future technology that, that are going to that are going to win here. Do, how are you applying some of this you know, technology that we've that advanced, I think, really took a leap during the pandemic? And of course, when you interestingly not to backtrack a question, but, you know, when you leave the wirehouse, when you're at a wirehouse, they, you know, you feel like this is the only place that can do this. And then when you leave, you see the world of technology has has grown. And look, when when I started at Merrill too, they own technology. I mean, they had they had their own technology, and that was the only way mm -hmm. to get it and everything else. But when you go RIA, kind of the blinders come off, don't they? And you, and you sort of see, my goodness, there's an awful lot of technology here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you think about our objective is to do the best we can for our clients. So that's not just in the portfolio, but in the way we set up our business, the technology we use, how efficient we run it. Uh, the services we provide the clients, the the data points, et cetera. So technology fuels a lot of that. And when when you're at a big firm like that, you're basically going to get whatever technology that group decides to implement. A lot of times it's because it's the most cost efficient rather than the best or, technology. or or they have to manage, you know, these uh, big large warehouses often have to manage to the lowest common denominator. For so sure. You know, and and so everyone has to kind of get into this funnel, even though it doesn't really fit, you know, your your business. That's um, right. So using the technology and, and the scale, let's talk about the investment side now. So how has that helped you sort of, we talked a little bit about it, but it, it's almost like it's an embarrassment of riches with the uh, research that we have available to us. How, how do you how do you manage what's out there? Because I mean, look, there's, there's, there's a benefit to the big firms doing a lot of thinking for me. So I'm just going to go ahead yeah. and you know, do this versus now you got this, this is a pretty big world out there. 
Yeah. I mean, for me, the transition was easy because even when I was at Merrill, I didn't really use the research because okay. I, I viewed myself as I always called myself an RIA trapped in a brokerage firm uh, where I'm doing what I think is best for the clients. I try to be independent and objective, and I'm not going to use the firm's resources if I think there's better ones, including custody and research. So I've always sought the best input that I could to, to build my investment thesis. Uh, so that's continued uh, as an RIA, basically using the same research. You know, I'm out there talking to the smartest investment managers, you know, looking at their research, uh, reading basically whatever I can, filtering out what I think is most insightful. You know, yeah. if you think about it, the vast majority of research is basically saying the near future is going to look like the recent past. So that's and, and what's interesting is that's right most of the time. But the big inflection points is what really matters. And so, so I'm constantly trying to find who is really good at identifying the next big inflection point. What's their track record of making these calls? And then have a kind of an advisory board, like a virtual advisory board of that insights, you know, informing my, my thought process. Um, and, and then using that to, you know, make investment decisions. So knowing that, right. And, and seeing kind of, you know, where we are today, this has been, look, since not only has our business been changing and in flux, but boy, the, the markets have had a lot. I mean, we've ended up all right, you know, but you know, COVID, we had a big you know, the crash yeah. or there are, there are pressures on the, on the market today that weren't there when you left or when you started your own RIA, you know, what, what, what are you seeing in terms of uh, how some of these really novel pressures are, are, are sort of acting out on the, on the space now? Yeah. It's interesting. When you look at history, it seems like a lot of data points, but there really aren't that many because mm -hmm. you have to think of it as different types of environments. So, so to me, it's not a surprise that we're seeing a lot of things we haven't seen before. And it's because we just haven't seen that much. Uh, so, so if you look at, if you kind of zoom into what's going on now, you had COVID, you mentioned, you know, that was kind of once in a hundred year type of storm. Then you had this policy response that was just massive and unprecedented in size. And that was probably too much for too long. Now you have the highest inflation in 40 years, then the fastest tightening in response to that high inflation in 40 plus years. And, and that caused all assets to fall, basically, because they all compete with cash. Cash goes from zero to five and a half. And all of a sudden, you can, you know, cash becomes an attractive investment. Um, so where does that lead us? I think it's either there's too much tightening, and it's hard to know because there's a lag effect. If there's yeah. too much tightening, you get a bad recession, and which may be hard to reverse. Um, if there's not enough tightening, then rates may stay higher for longer. Inflation may stay higher for longer. And anything in between those. That's a, that's a wide range of potential. It outcomes. is. And it's weird because it's, um, again, think back before you got in the business, but you were still aware at the time, like a Paul Volcker kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, no one knew what he was going to say. <laughs> you didn't know. Today, you know, today you have everything in front of you. There's so much information, so much more information. I think it makes it more difficult uh, to manage money. And you used to be able, as you said, anticipating markets would anticipate a change. And by the time the change comes, the market would go as long as it went in the direction that everyone thought the change should go. Today, they, I can't find out when they're anticipating the change. Is this sell-off due to anticipation or not? And what's going to happen after? It's. I think it's more difficult. Yeah. And, and another way to say that is the markets have become more efficient as information is more widely available. Yeah. That's a smart back. way to say it. I like to do it the way I want to do it. Okay. <laughs> right. That's a much that's smarter way to say it. Yeah. But that's, but that is a challenge, right? There, there's just more eyes on, on the data. There's more information available to everybody in an instant. Um, yeah. And that filters into the markets 
and markets, particularly when you're trading, it's a competition. You have to have insight over the average investor. The average investor's intelligence has increased over time. So having insight versus that is more and more difficult. Um, and now you have computers you're competing with and AI and, you know, so it's a tough game for sure. Well, AI is a real thing. I think, you know, that's uh, coming on. It's just, you see, we have firms that work with us here at Advisor Hub. They're starting to, uh, you know, first we had robo advising, which never really, I thought was going to be a problem. Uh, I, I don't know that AI is a problem, but it's just another way of doing research and creating algorithms and, and things like that, that, you know, you can see where you could use that to your advantage. You can, you can also see where it turns into the Terminator maybe, but at the, at the same time, there's, there's a balance somewhere, right? That's right. That's right. And, you know, through all that, it, to me, what's pretty surprising is there's three things that I think every portfolio should try to emphasize, and they still don't really do that. Um, I think trying to time markets has become more difficult, as we just discussed. But there's three things that I think are reliably beneficial. Maximize diversification, minimize fees, minimize taxes. And, and those are the things that still hold true through all of this techn technological innovation and advancement. And still, I'd say probably investors are probably less diversified now than they were 10 years ago. And probably trying to you know, be more active, typically higher fees, less tax efficient. Those are things you can be confident benefit you over time. And that's surprisingly, you know, with all the information, it's still not being you know, implemented in a wide scale. So to me, that's probably the most surprising thing. You know, the, the, look, there's investors, right, in the stock market, but there's still a very large group of people and portfolio managers that like to chase a something hot or chase an idea right? yeah. there's a ton of that going on because you know i heard this guy down the street he he had a, a 10 bagger you know and i'm gonna do that too. that's right you know that's right it, it's just sort of human nature that's right i mean humans are hardwired to have biases and they tend to respond to emotional impulses and that hasn't changed in a thousand years you know and it probably won't change you know we may become smarter but we're we're kind of hostage to our emotions um, and, and markets can be extremely emotional. You're dealing with money, right? You know, the, the FOMO is real. The, the fear of loss is real. I mean, those haven't changed. It's pretty remarkable. Look, and I'm, I'm in the publishing business. There's two things, fear and greed. That, that's what the, the, you want a story to, to work. That's right. Is it, is it going to scare me or can I make money? That's right. Yeah. They're and and one of the golden money. rules, yeah. One of the golden rules of investing is buy low, sell high. Yet almost everybody does the opposite still. Of course, you know, it, it's, it's uh, pretty phenomenal. Um, and, and, and that as an advisor, you know, our job is part analyst and part psychologist and oh, the psychology totally. part is, is becoming probably a, even a bigger part. So I'm interested because, um, you know, I've been doing this, you know, for a long time and I, I've worked with large advisors and manage them and things like that. And we had a, uh, just as as it is with you all, with with top you know multi billion dollar advisors, there's a, a level of loneliness at the top that, that that's unnecessary, but it is there. You, you I'm getting you guys together, you find everybody has everyone's in the same pool, so we've got a similar amount of problems. Uh, but you get the the nine figure clients together in a room, and they have a similar set of problems. Whether it's a second marriage, or it's a you know I'm I got a fractional ownership of this plane, but this is a ripoff. I mean, before you know it, everybody mm -hmm. has you know, very similar situations that they, they how they've gotten here and outlooks on life. And by the way, particularly if they're your clients, because again, you've attracted them for some reason. So there's a similarity. Do you ever get them together? Um. We, I used to do that more, you know, pre-COVID um, and maybe have one kind of client event a year. 
Uh, haven't done it since. Uh, I, I do some Zoom meetings, but that's not as effective. But but it's definitely something we should be doing more often. Yeah, I just think you find that the interactions are interesting and and the idea share and stuff like that. And are you uh, totally bonds and equities or do you guys do other stuff to real estate investment or anything like that or things that are outside? You know? Yeah, I mean, our, our focus is diversification, as I mentioned. So so we do equities, fixed income, all sorts of alternatives, private credit, private equity, private real estate. We look for things that are uncorrelated. Uh, we try to focus on things that I call structural alpha where we create structures that generate excess returns that is more reliable than trying to time markets. Um, And in general, we tend to own less equities than most investors um, because we try to find things that are equity-like in their returns, but are diverse. And I think that's how you build a more diversified portfolio. That's really how we, what we emphasize. Yeah. I think that makes a ton of sense. Um, Well, believe it or not, we've been talking for uh, 20 minutes or so. So I I, I think it's very interesting. I loved, I loved, loved the story and I appreciate, uh, you know, where you are today and and how much, you know, work it took to get there. So congratulations on that. I appreciate that. I feel like I'm just getting started. Yeah, I I would agree. Well, look, we can always do this again, Alex. You don't have to be a stranger. We're going to see you at, uh, you know, maybe you could continue this talk at one of our events, which would be nice. I'm sure the guys would love to hear. Yeah, that that sounds great. All right, great. I appreciate it, Tony. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on An Industry in Transition. Make sure to visit our website, www.advisorhub.com, and subscribe to Advisor Hub. It's free, and you won't miss any advisor news or events. While you're on site, check out all the podcasts available. Click on the Deals Pages and Resources tab for valuable content, or check out the Markets section with its guru predictions, latest fintech offerings, you name it. Feel free to email Tony Seriani about specific questions we can address on the show. He can be reached by email at contact at advisorhub.com. Please note that all requests and questions are handled with complete discretion and confidentiality. Thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next week for the next Industry in Transition episode.